0: key principles leaders should use to guide their decision-making. Eric Pleiner, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having me, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from New York. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Today, we're going to be talking about key principles leaders should be using to guide their decision-making. Now, there are a lot of different decision-making frameworks, ethical frameworks, all these sorts of things, and some of them are quite complex. Others are quite simple. Um, I think boiling it down to some key principles and fundamentals that we can apply consistently over time will help us to be more certainly consistent in our own decision making, less arbitrary and capricious, less informed via our biases, um, you know, than otherwise will probably be the case. And so I'm a big advocate for a systematic approach to decision making, also recognizing that, you know, heart and mind go together. And so it's not all a logical process, we do have to be informed by our intuition and, and to what, you know, emotions we're feeling. But I think, if, if we're solely making decisions based on those things, implicit biases tend to sneak their way in and, and unduly influence us. So it's definitely nice to have principles at play that we can fall back on to provide the scaffolding for our decision-making. As we get started, I wanted to share Eric's bio with everybody. With more than 20 years experience in leadership development, organizational culture, and strategic diversity and inclusion initiatives, Eric Pleiner was appointed chief executive officer of YSC Consulting in 2019. In a decade with YSC, he has designed and implemented leadership strategy in partnership with some of the world's best-known leaders, companies, and organizations. Eric's expertise includes onboarding and executive coaching for CEOs, supporting first-time corporate and private equity-backed CEOs, leading incoming and outgoing CEO transitions, fostering high-performing executive teams, building inclusion and diversity skills among senior leaders, and cultivating successful management team and board relations. All of that is fascinating. Super impressive background. It's a pleasure to be with you. Anything else you would like to share with me or my listeners by way of your background before we dive on in?
1: Yeah, I'll share. I'll share one other thing, John, which is that um, my my work with uh, with YSC Consulting is the first time that I've held a job in the private sector. I share that because a lot of my thinking about decision making about leadership is informed by my experiences in the not-for-profit and in the public sectors. Um, And a lot of what I learned about how different people who come from different disciplinary backgrounds think in very different ways about how to get to the heart of what really makes decisions difficult. Uh, It's turned out to be a good way to think about business leadership as well, but it's really the the coming together of those things that informs my thinking that I'll share with you today. Oh, I appreciate that.
0: And I I like to consider myself as an interdisciplinary, cross disciplinary kind of a person who has feet in multiple sectors as well. And I, I feel like that serves me well, but I also recognize that not everyone shares that perspective. Um, and, and it is, these are quite different worlds. And I come, okay. you know, I, I've spent most of my time, you know, with one foot in the corporate world through my consulting work, um, but most of me being in the academic world at a public university. Um, I have an MPA, so work in the public sector and not-for-profit sectors as well. People have very different viewpoints, very different ways of, of prioritizing, yeah. of, of, of just seeing the world. The, the worldviews are so dramatically different oftentimes in these different um, sectors and fields, um, which is, for me, all the more reason why it's helpful to have people that can, you know, with a 30,000-foot view, be able to see how all these interactions are happening and to, and to make holistic decisions that aren't, you know, due to any one particular piece um, yeah. more than, than the others. So I think that that is why in the corporate world, not that everyone in the corporate needs to all of a sudden rush out and go get nonprofit kind of side hustles or whatever, but it, it does help to have some diversity on your team, at least in terms of backgrounds and, and understanding of these different perspectives, um, you know, that can really guide the way we're having these strategic decisions Uh, strategic discussions to make decisions within our organizations at the highest levels.
1: Yeah. It, It speaks to something that you raised in your introduction, which is the notion of how we mitigate against our implicit biases. And I think for a long time, the prevailing view was, and in many quarters still is, that we should try to be as objective as possible, try to be as unemotional as we can, look at just the facts, But that carries with it the assumption that what we call fact doesn't actually have some bias built into it, that the perspectives that we bring from our identities, our backgrounds, our professional experience, our personal life, actually influence the way that we see fact. doesn't mean that there aren't facts. I don't mean to suggest that science isn't real or that there there aren't ways to look at things with pure fact attached to them, but we all bring the lenses of our experience and that informs the way that that we make the most difficult decisions, which are difficult because they're human, because they're subjective, because they impact real people's real lives in a meaningful way. They can't be made just by analyzing the data. Um, because as you note, know, our head and heart are connected. We can't separate them out entirely. And neither can the people who are the beneficiaries, as it that's were, right. of our decision making. That's right. That's right. And,
0: you know, I, th- I think about you know, there's lots of research around the value of diversity, for example, in the workplace and yeah. all these, these initiatives around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, for good reason, all of these are necessary. And part of it is simply so that we can have better decision-making, um, because we have a variety of perspectives around the table and just the recognition that honest, well-meaning, good intentioned, intelligent people can look at the exact same set of facts and come to vastly different conclusions, <laughs> and it interpret is. them in different ways and prioritize them in different ways. Uh, and we, we as human beings, we tend to demonize difference. And so when people have a different perspective, we tend to label it and demonize it and say they're a terrible person, you know, blah, blah, blah. And are there terrible people? Yes. Are, are there, you know, sometimes where people just blatantly ignore actual fact, actual science, those sorts of things, and it's detriment has detrimental effects. Absolutely. That does happen. um, And we need to call those things out and we need to stand up against those things. But we also need to just recognize that, again, well-meaning, intelligent people will disagree with the very same set of data put right in front of them um, because of their biases, their worldview, their histories, like everything that goes into making them who they are. And and that's just part of the deal. That's part of the game that we play as we're working in a diverse world. Uh, So we need to learn how to do that more effectively.
1: Well, and I think that's um, that's that's part of the fun in some ways, which is to say, hey, how would five different people who come from five different sets of experiences, backgrounds, and identities look at the same piece of information and see something completely different than I do? That's exciting because it allows us to make richer decisions that meet the needs of a wider range of stakeholders, whether it's our customers, our employees, uh, our investors. We can We can get to much better conclusions because we can see stuff from far more angles than we can if we're just looking at it on our own. But it means that we have to understand for starters where we're coming from. There are three simple principles that I encourage people to think about in getting to great decisions and in addressing the most difficult decisions that they have to make. And the first is to look inward. That's to say, where are you coming from? Where do you get your ideas about right and wrong? I use the frame of morality rather than values because I think values are aspirational. They tell us what we want to stand for, how we want to be perceived, but they're subject to considerable bias themselves in that um, we know that we're all more likely to share what we think is socially desirable, what will make us look good and what will make other people think positively about us. But I'm interested in morals because if values tell us what we stand for, morals tell us what we won't stand for. What do we say, absolutely, I cannot stand for that, I can't live with it, it's not okay with me. Tells us a lot about our own notions of right and wrong, and then exploring those in greater depth, where did I get that idea from? What what is it really about? What's underpinning that can get us to the true core of how we see the world and what's informed that? That's the first bit, look inward. The second bit is to look outward and to say, what's the ethical context that I'm operating in? That ethical context changes all the time. It's changed in the course of our professional lives, and it will continue to change uh, for us and in future generations. And so if morals are about right and wrong, ethics are about what's helpful or harmful in a given context. What's good or bad, better or worse? And uh, there are things that for a long time we thought of as being harmful that now we understand as being helpful and the other way around. So start by looking in, look at your own morality. Next, look out, look at the context that you're operating in, what's helpful or harmful, your ethical context. And then third, understand the responsibilities of your role. Look around you. So who are your stakeholders? If you're a business leader, what do your investors expect from you? What do your shareholders need, want, and expect from you? And who else do you serve? Do your, your various stakeholders all agree that they have a stake in the outcome of what you decide. We're at a moment when the psychological contract with the workplace is changing dramatically. And so you've got employees having much greater authority over, or at least influence on, the decisions that are being made about how they work and what they do. And we can't ignore that lest we lose employees at a time when lots of companies are doing that. Customers have a lot of say in what the companies that, that, uh, that they patronize do with their voice, their power, their dollars and uh, and they're making sure to use that. So look in, understand yourself, look out, understand your ethical context and look around, understand your stakeholder set and what their their expectations are of you and your responsibilities related to your role. Yeah, yeah, excellent. That's super helpful.
0: And what you were just sharing, you know, it just reminds me of the notion of stakeholder capitalism. Yeah. Uh, th- that it's a little bit of a shift away from the traditional view of, of shareholder uh, primarily, shareholder value primarily driving everything that we do in corporations and in business, Correct. recognizing that there's a broader set of stakeholders that are, play a really key, important role. We need to take all of them into account, all of their thinking and uh, perspectives into account, the impacts, the, the intended and unintended consequences of our decisions and actions, yeah. uh, and what is harmful uh, and what it, you know is is not harmful. Uh, all of those things need to play in, and I think that's a big part of it. So the the, uh, the stakeholder capitalism movement, which is really an offshoot, I suppose, of the broader you know social impact yep. dialogue that's happening out there, things that have been around for a long long, a long time, like the triple bottom line, social entrepreneurship, those sorts of things. This is all just part of the the context around how do we make um, businesses and corporations more uh, ethically, morally um, responsible, and you know, contributors to society, uh, m- mitigating and limiting the negative externalities that might, you know, occur due to the the nature of business, um, but but also just recognizing and understanding that decision making is messy. Um, we live in a world, a pluralistic society and world with a lot of different views and perspectives, and there's there's just no way we can carry on and bring value to the market if we don't take all of those perspectives into account Uh, because we're going to end up producing products and services that just aren't going to be valuable to a wide enough, you know, set of people to to allow us to to be successful and to stay in business, to make a profit, right? So all of those things have to to happen hand in hand. Uh, and, And then, of course, you talked about looking inward, looking outward. You know, so much of this, I think, Really does just begin with internal reflection and self uh, evaluation, and how many yep. people really understand themselves and understand why they think the way they think and why they make decisions the way they decide. I was having yep. a conversation recently with a person that I, I respect, a good a good man, um, but like everyone else, he has biases, uh, implicit biases. I don't think he has any intention of like trying to go out and hurt people on purpose, sure. um, but you know I, I called his attention just to a few decisions that in my mind, um, were a bit contradictory. And I highlighted some gendered components to them that at least from my perspective seemed to be at play and how he was, you know, driving his decision. Um, now again, good, good man, good person trying to do the best. He knows how, um, yet he, he fell into the trap. Like we all do at different points, you know, yeah. and, and he and, and things Influenced him in a way that probably led to inequities uh, that that needed to be corrected, right? Yeah. So if we can recognize that we all have that potential, every single one of us yeah. has has implicit biases and prejudices that maybe we aren't even aware of, the only way we can become aware of them is if we take good, hard, long looks at ourselves, try to understand our background, our understanding, you know, how we've been socialized everything that goes into our values, our priorities and, and makes us who we are, if we can better understand that and understand how we go through our processes and how we make our decisions, it just it, it increases the likelihood that we can um, better, you know, deal with the types of biases that will surface and recognize yeah. them when they do surface. And at least if 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 I know that I have a tendency to kind of trip over the same thing over and over again, then guess what? I can bring someone else on my team who is empowered to call me on it so that they can make sure that they check me on it. Right. And, and it's that, I think that's the ultimate sign of confidence and self-security. Like I, I am secure enough to recognize and be comfortable with who I am and understand that I'm not perfect. And so I'm going to surround myself with the best people possible so other people can check me and we can keep each other honest. We can keep each other accountable. Um, unfortunately, many organizations, many leaders don't do that because they're insecure because they're too ego driven. but if we yeah. can um, if we can do that, I, I think that's a really great way to make sure that we're set up for success, even recognizing the limitations of our frail human you know uh, way of dealing with things. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organization's. We look forward to having you join us. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think this is, again, implicit in some of what you're saying, but one of the reasons that people don't like to do that kind of introspection is that it's uncomfortable. It requires us to understand our own fallibility, our vulnerabilities, where we get stuff wrong. And the more senior we become as leaders, the more people tell us all the time how right we are. And to suddenly have to sit back and go, actually, I think I may have gotten this wrong. And there may have been some, some ramifications of me getting it wrong. That can be really hard. There's another part to it, which is to say, with everything I have to do as a leader, do I really want to spend time navel-gazing? Like, is it a good use of my time? And is it a good use of me as a resource to sit around thinking about how I make decisions? My, my, my push to people would be that the hardest decisions, the most difficult decisions that leaders have had to make over the last few years have had nothing to do with data, have had nothing to do with the kinds of content that they were prepared for over the course of their careers, had nothing to do with the kind of content that they studied in business school. We didn't know that a pandemic was coming. We didn't know that a racial reckoning was coming. We didn't know that we would have to be making decisions about people fundamentally changing the way that they engage with the notion of work. Nobody prepared us for that. So, while it would be great to be able to go off and listen to a few podcasts or read a few articles about what the greatest managers through time have done to address these complex issues, we have no idea what the next set of complex issues will be. They're coming, whether we're ready or not, whether we like it or not, they're coming and we don't know what they are. And so, instead of trying to start with the content, which is so often the default for so many of us as leaders, we can start with the channel. And we're the channel. We're the ones that have to make the decisions. So knowing where we're coming from when things are calm helps us to be prepared to deal with whatever that next crisis is when it comes. And it will be coming. It might be the economy. It might be an extension of the war in Eastern Europe. It might be something that we haven't even imagined yet, but it's coming. And we can be better prepared by spending that time looking at ourselves, looking at our context and looking at our roles, rather than trying to figure out on the fly how to deal with stuff that's going to affect people's lives in a big way. Yeah. And, and you just referred to on the fly. Um, and, and I think
0: about the, the, one of the greatest principles that I've keyed in on over the years is just the simple principle of do no harm. So when I'm making decisions, uh, will some people be negatively impacted by the decision that I make if I'm a leader in the workplace and maybe someone has to be let go? Uh, yes. But if I have a general principle of do no harm, and I'm certainly trying to better the world around me, I'm trying to better my people, I'm trying to better the organization, I'm trying to make the best possible decisions uh, for the people around me and try to mitigate and do as little harm or hopefully no harm to those around me, then that goes a really long way. Uh, and it just it's just this recognition that there are unintended consequences to what I'm yeah. deciding. So I may think, I, you know, I may be very confident in my decision. I may think that what I'm doing is going to just help a lot of people and I may be right, but have I taken the time to thoroughly think through what potentially could come of my decision that was never intended, was never even conceived of? Um, Now, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see the future. I don't know exactly what every unintended consequence will be, but if I get into the habit of going through that mental exercise and having those kinds of conversations with my team then at least, you know, we're in a better position to try to stop many of the types of negative, uh, potential negative things from happening. And your point about, uh, you know, unforeseen, you know, things like a war in the Ukraine, or, you know, really difficult political and social environments in much of the world, um, COVID, all of these things, do, do we have a crystal ball? Can we predict? can we predict exactly what these things are? No, but we can also look at the arc of human history and we can know that there are disruptions and there are things that tend to happen (laughs) pretty consistently. And so we know something's coming. Uh, we know, for example, with the economy, we're pretty much there's, there's flows and cycles, and we know pretty much about once a decade, we're going to have some sort of a recession or at least a slowdown. Um, And we should be prepared for that. We don't know exactly what the reasons are going to be or how it's going to look this time, but we should be prepared for that. Um, and and so all of those things, if if we can recognize it, um, there's a level of preparation, um, even if we're not directly trying to tackle the the particular context. Which is to your point, the the frame, the structure, the scaffolding around the decision making. Um, rather than focusing on the content of the next decision, I think is is definitely worth our time and our energy when things are calmer, when we have our wits about us, so that we're not just going off, you know, flying from the by the seat of our pants and making flippant decisions that we don't have time to think through the consequences. We don't have time to think through how people could potentially be hurt by even our best intentioned decisions, unless we have that process practiced and rehearsed and just really solidified in our minds before we find ourselves in very, very difficult, challenging situations.
1: When when I first became a parent, and I, I'm a dad of three three young kids, um, somebody gave me the advice that you cannot prepare the road for your children. So you have to prepare your children for the road. And I think the same applies to us as leaders. We cannot prepare the road ahead. We have no idea what's on that road. We don't even necessarily know what road we're going down. So our responsibility, rather than preparing the road to make the journey smoother, is to prepare ourselves for whatever might be ahead. And that's some of the work that we can do by doing this reflection in advance. I talk in, uh, in the book, Difficult Decisions, about, uh, about uh, Patrice Louvet, the chief executive officer of Ralph Lauren, uh, who I've partnered with for the last five years. And he shares the story of having to make the choice uh, to furlough the vast majority of the Ralph Lauren workforce early in the pandemic. What an incredibly intense choice that was, knowing that as painful it was, as it was for him, it was far more painful for the people who were losing their livelihood. And he thought a lot about the values that the company stood for, about his own view of right and wrong, about how the world was interpreting businesses making choices like this, about what the ramifications might be, and about what the long-term effects might be for people who relied on their relationships with the Ralph Lauren Corporation, not just as their employer, but as their partners, as their suppliers, et cetera. Um, there's no way of knowing for any of us whether we've made the right choice, because we don't know what the outcome would be had we made a different one. And even if we changed our minds now, the circumstances are different. But what Patrice saw and what the entire Ralph Lauren Corporation saw was that more than 80% of their furloughed employees returned when their employment was available to them. And a big uh, that's certainly a testament to the way that they felt treated, cared for, supported, but it's also a testament to the morals of the leaders, the values of the company and the expectation about why they were, were making the choices that they did in line with their ethical context. It's a, it's a really intense uh, experience as a leader to have to make a choice like that, that affects so many people's lives. But as he talks about in the book, Patrice had, uh, had uh, on reflection a considerable amount of data that said to him, you know, we did, we did pretty good. We did pretty good. And I yeah. think they did. Yeah, excellent.
0: Eric, this has just been a really fun conversation. We've just scratched the surface. There's so many implications and applications of what we've been talking about that we could explore further, but we're going to have to stop there for today. Before we wrap up, though, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, John. Um, the Well, you can you can reach me via our firm's website at www.yf Com. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, Eric Pliner, and on Twitter, Eric A. Pliner. Somebody else had uh, had no middle initial in theirs. Um, the the book, Difficult Decisions: How Leaders Make uh, Make the Right Call with Insight, Integrity, and Empathy, is available on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. The audiobook is available on Audible or anywhere audiobooks are sold. So please do reach out, love to hear from folks about it. My uh, my my final encouragement to everyone is to think about the notion of, uh, of of how you prepare yourself in advance. Start taking a few minutes each day, whether it's on a walk, whether it's while you're in the shower, whether it's uh, in an email with a colleague, but take a few minutes each day, to do a bit of self-reflection in advance so that when the next big challenge comes, and it will, you have uh, done some of your homework to prepare yourself in a way that will enable you to make better decisions for yourself, for your stakeholders, for the world in the long run.
0: I love it. Thank you, Eric. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Eric can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.